Everybody. Hi. Sorry, I had to burp. I'm drinking my coffee. <laughs> uh, welcome to Rate, Debate, Recreate. I'm Sammy Purcell. And I'm Logan Culler. And this is the last episode of season three. Woo! Wow. That went by fast. It's in. I think it was smart to knock it down to 10. That was a good idea. Yeah, I am I'm happy with what we did there. I feel good about us. Um, well, Logan, I have one last question for you. <laughs> Bring it. Who is your favorite ally? Mmm. <laughs> um, McBeal? Oh, sure. <laughs> I guess mine is, um, Rachel McAdams in the notebook then. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, there you go. Yeah, that's my answer. Ally McBeal. Okay. Um, well, today, we're going to discuss a different ally, a king, a true <laughs> hero. <laughs> um, if you don't know what this show is about, we probably sound crazy right now. Um, but this is Rage Debate Recreate. Hi. Hello. So every week, Logan and I pick a musical based on a, uh, pick a musical based on a category. We rate that musical on a scale of 1 to 10. We debate which one is better. And then we think of one aspect we would change or recreate uh, using that as, you know, stringently or liberally as we want. So each week we have a category. This week, that category is supporting actor Zac Efron helps solve racism. (laughs) And my show is (laughs) The Greatest Showman, The Greatest Show on Earth. And my show is Hairspray. I'm so excited. I had such a good time with both of these. (laughs) Me too, honestly. They're both so campy. I know, it's ridiculous. I was thinking about The Greatest Showman, and I read, it was again, it was a lot of rocks review. I think it was from Griffin Newman. He hosts a podcast called Blank Check, where he was like, there's so many problems I have with this movie talking about The Greatest Showman, but I just, like, don't care. (laughs) I was like, man, that's how I feel, so... That's how we'll get started. Less issues with hairspray, but still some, I would say. But Yeah, not without applause. Yeah, sure. All right, should we get on to summary? Yes, let's go. Okay, so, The Greatest Showman. This film, starring Hugh Jackman, Zac Efron, Michelle Williams, Rebecca Ferguson, sung by Lauren Allred, Zendaya, Kayla Settle, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, and so many more. Just like, what a cast. Stacked. It's an amazing cast. Stacked. Both of these, I would argue, stacked. Yeah. Um, so The Greatest Showman is based on the life of P.T. Barnum, um, emphasis on based, which we'll talk about. Um, it has music and lyrics by Pesek and Paul, so like Dear Evan Hansen, Dogfight, all that stuff. Um, and P.T. Barnum, as you might know, was a famous showman and entertainer and was one of the founders of Barnum and Bailey Circus, which has like, gone through a lot of mergers with like Ringling Brothers and stuff. But basically ran from 1871 to 2017 in some fashion, which is kind of crazy. That's a long time yeah. to be around. Um, so I'm going to go through just like kind of the basics of the movie. And again, we'll get into the actual P.T. Barnum of it all. <laughs> but this movie imagines P.T. Barnum as this very young poor boy who grows up and marries this rich girl, Michelle Williams. Um, and he's trying to provide for his family and is like very intent on being secure and wanting more. Which I actually think, like, the movie does a pretty good job at, like, setting up 
why he does the things he does because he does a lot of dumb, mean things. But um, so he basically creates the show circus by taking people who might be considered odd or like have some, you know, physical thing that's strange about them in a way and putting them in a show. So like a bearded lady or like a tattooed man, the fattest man in the world, the tallest man in the world, but she like fudges those things. Like the guy, I love the guy like stuffing the pillow in his yeah. shirt every time. Uh, 750 pounds. Yes. That's what I heard. When <laughs> He's like the tall guy. He's like, where are you from? And he's from like Russia. And he's like, I think you're Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, side note, I love Hugh Jackman in that scene. He's so yeah. like joyous. And so he's having so much fun. Everyone's having fun in this movie, which is fun. This just feels uh, like a passion project for him, which is really does. fun. Which we need to discuss. We'll discuss it later. I'll get into yeah. it. But, um, <laughs> And so the way the movie sort of frames this P.T. Barnum character is that he has, like, seen kindness from people who don't necessarily fit in, like, in the past. Like, you have that um, scene of that woman giving him an apple, which, like, very strange choice because it really looks like Snow White, um, Mm -hmm. like, very early on in the show um, or the movie. So you're basically like supposed to believe or like glean from that, that he sees the beauty in these people and like wants to showcase them and like show people like their talents, but also like cynically he knows people will buy tickets because you know, people like looking at things that are different. So uh, people do buy tickets, but the show gets very poor reviews, which we'll also get to because that's so funny. Um, But it's just not enough. And PT wants to make the show more high class. So he does that first by partnering with Zac Efron, who plays a guy named Philip Carlyle, who like runs in better circles. Then he they go see the Queen, which is funny. And then he books Jenny Lind as an act who is an opera singer. And that actually did happen. Um, So she's based on a real person as it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and that sort of creates a schism between him and his wife, him and the other performers, him and Zac Efron. And basically, like, that's kind of the basic premise of it. It ends on a happy note. Like, he learns that, like, I don't need to, like, keep striving for more and more money. Like, my family and, like, this, like, circus family I've created is what's important. And meanwhile, Zac Efron and Zendaya are falling in love, but it's the 1800s, so they're having problems, which is where the title of this category comes into play. Um, there also was, I think there were like a couple fires in real life. Like it did burn down a couple times, yeah. I believe. Um, so my rating as a PT Barnum biography, it honestly gets a zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10 today on a better day. I could give it an eight out of 10. I'm just sort of like done pretending. Like I love this movie <laughs> a lot. Um, there's so many things you can point out that are wrong with it, but I just... Like I said, I, I don't care. It's fun. I have a great time when I watch it. It's comforting. So that's what I got. Seven out of ten. Oh. Shoot, I forgot. Um seven out of ten. Bearded ladies. Bearded ladies. Uh, shout out to Kila Settle. I am also not ashamed, and I am going to give this show an 8 out of 10. Yay! Let's go! <laughs> I agree. It's not perfect. It has its flaws. I honestly don't even view it as a... I know it's based on That's like you Barnum, can't. Like, you cannot view it as a P.T. Barnum yeah, movie, I, it which literally, is hard, because his name yeah. is P.T. Barnum, but... Yes. <laughs> yes, and, like, I feel like they the closest it is is they're like, P.T. Barnum, circus guy. Like, that's it. <laughs> that is literally 
all and the fires, I guess, and Jenny yeah. Lind. And Jenny actually, Lind. his wife's name was Charity, but we'll get to some stuff with his wife. So, okay. Um, I love it. I think it's really campy. I feel like it has an almost like magical realism element to it that I really For love. Sure. Yeah. I I don't know. I think it's a fun show. It's I great. think it's kind of stupid, but good stupid. It is kind of stupid, but like so earnestly, so earnest. You're just yeah. like, sure. Also, okay. you, <laughs> you, season three, Sammy really loves an 18th uh, or a 19th century turn of the century story. <laughs> I do. You're right. What's up with that? <laughs> and I'm like, this movie is better than Ragged. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you said Honestly, it, not me. Not wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, Hairspray. So Hairspray follows Tracy Turnblad, who's like this um, fat, like, high school girl in Baltimore, um, and has, like, the biggest, bumpiest, trendiest hair of the time. Um, and her and her best friend Penny basically are always catching this, like, local teenage dance show called The Corny Collins Show, Nicest Kids in Town. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and they're like obsessed with this show and their dream is basically to be on it. Eventually she decides to audition for the show and runs into some problems. Basically she's like rejected because of her size and gets a detention eventually. <laughs> <laughs> she's always in detention. Yeah, always. she really is. <laughs> um, and basically where like the, the premise of this story starts is that she starts to bond with the black kids in the school over their like shared enemy, basically. And being the only Velma kids von who Tussle. Get yeah, being the only kids who get attention, <laughs> and also their shared enemy, Velma von yeah. Tussle, who is the racist, mm-hmm. fatphobic producer of the show, who rejects Tracy because she's too big, and um, basically all the black kids only get to perform once every month. All I'm going to talk more about like some of the plot points that happen, but basically. Tracy, uh, I'm saying this with a lot of sarcasm and, and some air quotes. Tracy leads a revolution <laughs> <laughs> um, during the civil rights era. <laughs> Go, Tracy. <laughs> yeah, and basically her and Zac Efron solve racism, and everything from there is good, and you can't stop the beat. Um, yeah, you can't, <laughs> and you can't stop the beat. And they all celebrate, and all the kids start dancing together, black and white. Fat and not fat, and it's like this celebration of humanity, basically. I love Hairspray. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that there are some, like, white savory tropes in it that I'll talk about. I don't think it's perfect, but I also do think that this is, like, kind of the epitome of a musical, in a way. Like, yeah. just, like, big, grand, um, audacious, telling a big story, really song-heavy, really dance-heavy, optimistic. Like, a, a lot. it hits a lot of the boxes, um, really joyous. Also has had a lot of different iterations from the original Broadway production opened in 2002 and I want to say ran until like 2009 or yeah. something. Um, then there's the movie in 2007. There's like the production. based on the John Waters movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Based on the John Waters movie with Ricky Lake and Divine. There's the live version recently with like Jay hud and yeah. some other folks. So anyway... Definitely a prolific work that has been repeated a lot of times, had a lot of different casts. I think, honestly, I think every cast of this show that I've seen mm-hmm. has actually been really phenomenal. Yeah. Um, even the live, which wasn't as praised. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 
that's yeah, that's hairspray as a premise. Um, I am going to give hairspray nine out of ten flashers. I'm also gonna give it nine out of ten flashers. We talked about this a little yesterday, but like, there's just like not this musical has its issues, but like, there's like not a single skip. Yeah, it looks great. Like we watched the movie, but like everyone in the movie is again just having like a blast. We have to talk about James Marsden a lot mm-hmm. because I think we failed him as a society. <laughs> um, but it's just so much fun. It's exuberant is like the only word you can use. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I'm really excited to talk about these shows. Me too. Speaking of, okay. So for The Greatest Showman, I want to talk about P.T. Partum a little bit for real. Okay, great. Um, which is going to be a little bit of a bummer, but here we go. Um, first of all, <laughs> he's like he was, a really good person. Oh yeah, that's all I'm saying. He was great. Um, first of all, this is not as important as everything else, but he was not as hot as Hugh Jackman is. <laughs> um, like not even close. <laughs> that is as important. He kind of looks like Tom Hanks. You okay? That's rude to Tom Hanks. Wait, <laughs> he looks he, like. He looks like Tom Hanks meets the dad from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. I guess I can kind of see that. Tom Tom Hanks does not look that, like, cruel. Like, I think Tom, Tom Hanks... That's, yeah, that's where I'm getting the Charlie part, though. Yeah. Tom Hanks has, like, a like, Tom geniality Hanks looks better than this guy. Yeah. Tom Hanks could lead a rom-com in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> this guy could not. <laughs> yeah, true. But, and that is the other thing about this movie. I'll talk about, like, kind of how they, like, set up why um, the Hugh Jackman character does what he does. But, like, I will let Hugh Jackman get away with a lot, which I don't know if we would let this other guy get away with this much. (laughs) Um, So, like I said, like, the movie paints his, like, need to rise to the top as sort of a holdover from the way he grew up. So he doesn't want his daughters to suffer like he did. And it's more, like, a sense of pride and, like, wanting to provide for his family, which I think is, like, relatable to a lot of people. Like, you just, like, want to make sure that your children have a way better life than you, you know, have a better life than you did. And I think it also presents him as having genuine love for the performers mm-hmm. in the circus. So, like, and even, that's even true, like, when he's sort of, like, you know, like, when they, halfway through the movie, when he starts being like, oh, you guys don't come in here. Like, I can't, like, I need to, like, get this like these people to like me and I like you but like I know they won't like you which is like cruel but like it's not like really billed as like he doesn't like them it's just like he like knows that like they won't be accepted in the circles that he's trying to like get to fund this other stuff or whatever yeah so still cruel but like more of a it like comes from a like relatable place I would say like thinking of his childhood so like you like kind of understand more like why he's doing what he's doing in real life, um, he was a bad person. <laughs> he was uh, really motivated by money. He was just after whatever, you know, he could get in those coffers of his. Um, this is from a piece in The Wrap by Lisa Lang. It says, The Greatest Showman tells a highly sanitized version of Barnum's days of duping the public and his contemptible exploitation of anyone he could use to make a buck. He not only launched what would become a century and a half of cruelty to animals and circuses, but also began his career by exploiting African Americans and people with disabilities. So yeah, um, <laughs> it's like I don't Fun really guy. know what else to say about the guy. I have like one one story I'm gonna use to illustrate this, but the rest of them are just like so awful and so fucked up. I don't want to give him like the time of day. Um, so he actually weirdly 
it's so weird. Weirdly enough, um, apparently spoke a lot in favor of abolishing slavery. Um, slavery was abolished okay. in 1865. I'll, I'll Tracy was... Turnblad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. do, do not drag Tracy Turnblad into the this. T- the TNPT stands for Tracy. <laughs> Um, but the circus started in 1871. But also, and there's a million stories like this. This is just one. It's also from The Wrap. Um, he bought a blind, severely debilitated African-American woman named Joyce Heff, and he advertised her as the greatest natural and national curiosity in the world. And like basically um, described himself as her proprietor, even though mm. slavery had been abolished. And he reportedly made up to $1,500 a week displaying her, and she never received a cent of it. So that's like the type of guy he was, you know? He's like, yeah, abolish slavery as long as I can still own people and take advantage of them. Because if, you know, they're slaves, then I don't have access. Sorry, I just don't think he was a very no. good person yeah. at all. He was a shitty dude. Fair assessment. Yeah. Um, He was actually married to a woman named Charity, and they were married until she died. And then after she died, he married his friend's daughter, who was 40 years younger than him. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, So there's part of me that's like, well, we need to get the word out that this is, like, not... (laughs) P.T. Barnum was not Hugh Jackman, just, like, making a few mistakes here and there. Yeah. For what it's worth, I don't think that this movie, like... Is it, like, I don't think it's about, P- I know we just said this, but I don't feel like mm-hmm. it's about P.T. Barnum as much as just as it's about this movie. And then the second thing is, is I don't feel like, and this I could also be wrong on, but I don't think that like as a society, we like put P.T. Barnum on this like no, pedestal. No, I think you know, you're like, right. I don't think it's like he has this good reputation, but we need to like let people know. It's like yeah. he's kind of is just like, you're like, oh, what? The circus guy, like, at best, mm-hmm. is maybe what people know about him. Yeah. I think, like, the... So, I guess, like, I think you're right. Like, I don't think we put P.T. Barnum on a pedestal. So, it's not <laughs> like this movie came out and we were like, yeah, that's what we always thought about this guy. Like, oh, my God, he was so great. And I think for a lot of people, I do think for a lot of people, the one thing that mostly comes to mind is the cruelty to animals part and not necessarily yeah. the other stuff. And not that, like, <laughs> it's better to be cruel to animals, but, like... <laughs> I think, so I think, you know, I don't know. Just explain to your kids who P.T. Partum is when you show yeah. this movie, I guess. Be like, this is Hugh Jackman. We <laughs> like him. <laughs> we don't like this other guy. <laughs> um, okay, and then the other little note I wanted to hit um, is the critic character who, um, give me a second while I look up the actor's name. He's been in so many things. Oh, yeah. Paul Sparks. Um, so he's been in a lot of stuff. He's, like, been in House of Cards, The Girlfriend Experience. Like, he's in Thoroughbreds. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Like, you've seen him. But he plays this critic. And this oh, is, like... Guy. Yeah. One of the quintessential I, I examples. I thought he was the, the evil guy from Umbrella Academy for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just snorted. <laughs> um, but this is just, like, a quintessential example of a movie putting a critic in the movie who doesn't like the thing that is basically standing in for the movie just so that it can like preempt any negative critique of the movie like look like you critique this thing but the people like it and like we should say greatest showman insanely popular like made a bajillion (laughs) dollars um and this is his quote he says that he says to Hugh Jackman like I think it's after the fire when he sits down and he's like trying to like remain like "Mm, I'm artsy and stupid but 
I'm going to try to give you a little, like, little hint of kindness. He says, I never liked your show, but I always thought the people did. Mind you, I wouldn't call it art. <laughs> and I always, like, just laugh at this stuff. Like, Malcolm and Marie, that Zendaya movie, is, like, basically just this. Like, being, like, I'm going to say everything that I think the critics are going to say before they say it. So it's just stupid when they say it. And it's... I think it's, like, dumb, but in this case, it's, like, so blatant. I just have to laugh. Like, I'm like, okay, sure, fine, whatever. <laughs> You're right, okay. <laughs> um, but that's all I have to say about that. It just makes me laugh every time that little trope pops up in a movie. Yeah, that um, And now I just want to go through, I don't have, like, a ton to say. Um, I'm just going to go through my stray thoughts, and then I want to talk a little bit about Zendaya and Zac Efron, because Zac Efron is the reason we're here today, so... Um, really, my hot take is I listen to this music more than... It's better than Dear Evan Hansen, I think. Oh my god, Sorry. hands down. It's better. Sorry hands about down. it. Um, I listen to it way more than I listen to Dear Evan Hansen. It has less skips than Dear Evan Hansen does. It's just more fun. Mm-hmm. From now on, it's a banger. It's a great song. And we talked a little bit um, off mic about like the visuals in this. And I think like some of the CGI is kind of bad. Like, I think um, Rewrite the Stars is, like, a perfect encapsulation of this movie's visuals because, like, there are those moments when, like, and you've seen the behind the scenes of them, like, actually, like, spinning around each other, like, hitting each other and stuff. And, like, it is beautiful. Like, those parts are like, oh, my God, it looks so great. And, like, they're actually doing it. And then there's, like, Zendaya, like, spinning around him, that close-up on her face, and it looks so fake. And I'm like, oh, this looks bad. So it's, like, a mix of those things. But, like... I remember the first time I watched it when um, Hugh Javid and Michelle Williams were, like, dancing through the laundry on the roof. I was, like, crying because oh, I thought it was so, so beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um, them going to see the Queen, I mentioned this before, is literally the dumbest thing I've ever seen in the movie. I love it so much. It makes zero <laughs> I sense. I love it. Why did they go? It takes I love them, like, the characterization of Queen Victoria. Yeah. It takes them, like, two days to get there, two days to get back. <laughs> it's stupid. Um... Rebecca Ferguson slash Lord Allred, um, I mean, singing for her, but Rebecca Ferguson is the physical version of this. She is so hot, but I will never forgive Hugh Jackman for doing this to Michelle Williams. I don't care that she kissed him on stage. (laughs) He put himself in that position. I'm victim blaming a little bit, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, And then I want to talk about This Is Me a little bit. Because my story with this movie is I didn't see it for, like, years. I don't think I watched it till like, 2020. Whoa. Um, because I kept hearing this song, and I did not <laughs> like it. I really didn't like it. And my thing with this song is it is a song that must be seen first. Because yeah. when you watch it, you're like, oh, I love it. It's so great. Like, they're, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, like... I would hear it on the friggin' radio all the time and be it's like... It's a little fight songy. I never want to see this fucking movie. <laughs> um, and I was wrong, so. <laughs> and then, <laughs> Rewrite the Stars, I'm going to talk about also a little bit more later, but... Um, Wait, on the This Is Me, you have seen the, like, video of them yeah. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. amazing. Yeah, because that same video is... There's another thing from that same night, the video of Hugh Jackman doing From Now On, when <laughs> Jeremy Jordan is singing. It's like he just had nose surgery or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, maybe don't sing, but Hugh Jackman was just feeling From Now On so hard. He, like, just slightly, like, nudges 
very small Jeremy <laughs> Jordan out of the way. That was the first time I realized that Hugh Jackman is a giant person. Because I was yeah, like, what the he's heck? Huge. Like, he's like 6'3". And Jeremy Jordan looks like a literal child next to him. <laughs> and he's just like, step aside, son. <laughs> he starts singing and everyone starts. It's a great video. You should look it up. It's amazing. Um, and then to rewrite the stars, I'm going to talk about Zach and Zendaya last, like I said. But um, how, <laughs> there's a moment when he... He climbs up the thing and then he jumps on her while she's on the rope. Oh, yeah. world, did she catch him? I was like, what the fuck? Like, also when she, like, she's, like, going fast and, like, body slams him down. And then they, like, yeah. kind of start kissing. And then she just gets carried away by the rope. She's, like, like pulling who's, them up. Who's controlling these ropes? She's controlling them herself because it has, like, a sandbag so like but when she like them, pulls it <laughs> like there would be like multiple sandbags <laughs> dropping <laughs> she has amazing arm strength she must yeah, be i don't doubt it little Zach, like compact muscly zach efron just like boom <laughs> 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 like, tall willies and daya um and then we talked about this before but he dropped fireman carrying zach efron mm. out of a fire is the moment i realized i love this movie because he runs in to save zendaya and you're like okay oh my god whatever and then she comes and then running she out, like, comes right out i'm fucking fine. fine like what do you mean <laughs> and then zach efron or he dropped has to save zach efron which is just great i love it yeah. it's amazing I want to be both of them in that scenario. Yeah, I don't know who I want to be more. (laughs) Like, I I want to be carried out of a fire by Hugh Jackman, but I also want to carry Zac Efron out of a fire. (laughs) Yes, I agree. And then lastly, just as my little wrap-up for this section, one of my favorite tropes in all of cinema was when a man runs to the woman he loves at the end. Tom Cruise does it. He is sprinting (laughs) and singing. (laughs) But uh, Tom Cruise does it um, at the end of Jerry Maguire. Little Sam does it at the end of um, Love Actually. So it's usually at an airport. But Mm -hmm. he tackles again out in these streets, sprinting for dear life to make it to Michelle Williams. Which who among us wouldn't? Um, she's beautiful and perfect. I love her. Okay, so I've also got just a little section about. Can Zendaya. I say a quick thing before the oh Zach and Zendaya? Yeah. So I watched this with John, my boyfriend, and John kept he kept like seeing people that were like in the group of oddities or whatever, and being like. What's their thing? Because <laughs> there's the really obvious ones, but then obviously it's a performing crew too. So a lot of them are just like... Yeah, like Zendaya and um, Yaya are trapeze artists. I mean, they're black, so they have their own problems. Yeah, with but no, 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 but on. I'm saying like, they're like, I'm saying in a lot of the people that become visible are just like ensemble members that are there for the choreography, but aren't actually like, yeah. don't have an oddity. <laughs> so it started with a tattoo guy and John was like, he just has tattoos. <laughs> every time someone would like come on I'd be like she's just Latina <laughs> it's true like, they just needed to like, like you know you know flesh out the she got white hair <laughs> it is true it is true okay Zach Efron and mm. Zendaya okay first of all I wrote down Zendaya with just like a bunch of exclamation points mm-hmm. while I was watching this because she's like such a good actress it's also her and pink hair mm. she looks great she looks really Amazing. good in this movie um also just for Zac Efron like as a general note for this whole episode like let him be in musicals again he's like a really talented fucking dude and he's yeah. great like in comedies and stuff like neighbors but just like rom-coms musicals comedy is just 
put them in them. He's in some movie about beer runs, and I just don't feel like I want to watch it. It's with Russell Crowe. Um, <laughs> but also, they have great chemistry. There's so many yeah, moments in there really where I was go. like, oh, my God, this is great. Like, the slow-mo when he first sees her, and his face just like, ah, angel singing. And their reaction to each other, like, during Never Enough, when they're standing next to each other, like, oh. I'm such a slut for, like, the deep breathing. Like, like when he, like, touches her hand for the first time, she's like... And she's like, oh, oh. <laughs> She, like, gasps, and they're, like, barely, like, grasping each other's hands. Um, and then I wrote down a couple of times when Zac Efron tries to solve racism. So <laughs> I did, too. He, he's... <laughs> Um, obviously when he runs into the thing to save her, which she didn't need saving, you did, my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, also, so there's like a moment when they first, he like tricks her into a date, which is weird. <laughs> then, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're at the theater and his parents show up and they're like, oh, I can't believe this. Like, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, how dare you speak to her like that? Yeah. <laughs> and then the he other also thing says, he says, fuck you to the crown. He does. It's really great. And then he says, if this is my place, I don't want any part of it, which is pretty great. And then right before with the fire breaks out, um, someone calls Yaya's character like a rate one of those. Those like those guys are also just so dumb. <laughs> like what old like group of thugs or whatever are yeah. so silly. <laughs> um, but someone calls Yaya like a racial slur. And Zach Efron goes, sir, I will only ask once more. And then I think, <laughs> I can't remember who throws the first punch, but then they get in a fight and a fire breaks out. Um, but that's like all I really got about yeah. this movie. Um, I love it. Put Zach Efron in more musicals. Put Zendaya in more musicals. Yeah, she's really I was good. That. She can yeah. sing. She can sing. I, I still know she's going to have... I mean, obviously, we're still in her era. It's not like it's over. No, but like, absolutely not. She's going to have another era, though. I think that's going to be music. Like, that's, I think, going to be just as proliferous as like her Like, transitioning to pop star? Back to pop yeah. star? Yeah. Uh-huh. I would like that. She had some bops. She's doing, like, a little bit with the Euphoria music. Like, she'll pop up on uh-huh. the Uh-huh. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. So, we'll see crazy great things in that kid's future. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Is anyone else saying this? I don't know. <laughs> okay, shall we move on to hairspray? Yes, let's do it. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> where to begin? Hairspray. I have so <laughs> so many thoughts. Um, yeah. First thing I'll say is that I think that hairspray tries to do a lot of things, and mm-hmm. I. Again, I'm going to keep harping on this concept of it's not perfect, but I really do think it does a pretty good job at, like, at least addressing a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Obviously, racism and fat phobia are, like, kind of the two big ones, but, like, yeah. there's also an inherent queerness to Hairspray, I think. Um, I think yeah. that, like, Edna projecting her own issues about her body onto her daughter is, mm-hmm. like, kind of a big thing. Um, like, oh, there's a big lack of trust in authorities, like, media and the yeah. police. Like, the cops suck in this movie. Yeah, they really <laughs> like, do. Like, they try to... <laughs> they touch on a lot of issues. Um, they do it all. Well, what I'll talk about of this, like, hairspray utopian outlook on the world and society, which I think is this kind of like deeply held 
belief that like goodness prevails and you mm-hmm. know goodness will succeed that I think has the potential to come across as really corny and like kind of does at times and still feels like cool and like yeah. the right you know like the the right thing and not it's in a like Sunday infectious. school way yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um okay first thing I'm gonna talk about is um this idea of like individual individuality within community that I love about hairspray because if you look at the the like characters like they're all such I feel like have such unique personalities mm-hmm. um and exist as their own people in such a strong way like especially like thinking Tracy and Penny to start yeah. with it's interesting because they're all about like their own uniqueness and sticking out in their own ways while also wanting to crave like craving this community acceptance. around that. Yeah, this this acceptance around their uniqueness. Um and I think they see a lot of themselves in this dance community on the Corny Collins show. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think there's something really beautiful about that and about this like un- unapologetically being yourself and then finding mm-hmm. a community of people who accept everyone for being their full selves, regardless of if it's a non-desirable trait, whether that's your race or your, how you look or or anything like that, like not, not treating different people differently. And then I I mentioned earlier that I think there's like an inherent queerness to the show. I think this show is like hands down is a, an iconic show in the queer community and I think that's kind of interesting because there's not any openly or overtly queer characters. Um, well, I guess although stemming from the John Waters thing. <laughs> yes, so exactly. So yeah, I guess that is a good point to talk about, which is that the the nineteen when was it? It was in the eighties, nineteen eighty eight or something. Yeah, I think. Yeah, the original movie was, which I think is maybe the like grittiest of the iterations of of yeah. hairspray um yeah, surprisingly it became a musical <laughs> and became less gritty um but <laughs> like has <laughs> but like has um divine the drag queen playing edna mm-hmm. um ricky lake uh there's some other people but that, that, those are the main people and i think that there's like a consistency in the portrayal of Edna in drag. That's pretty amazing from divine to Harvey Firestein to John mm-hmm. Travolta who like is somehow like the least believable actor of all time in a way that like works so fucking well. I it was blows my say, mind. I was like expecting to sort of be like, Oh, maybe this hasn't like aged that well. He's great. Yes. He's it's real, phenomenal. It's, it's not like, it's so funny because it is like an overly mannered yes. performance, but everyone is. So like he has to like kind of dial it up to match everyone else's energy. But I don't think it's like, it's not like playing into any weird stereotypes. It's just like, he's just playing this woman. Like that's yes. it. Like, I know. Yeah. It's yeah. not like, I mean, it is extremely overly exaggerated, but it's not so like over exaggerated woman. Like, you know, which, no. I think that I don't think drag is this. I think it has could be in if it's used incorrectly, but like especially mm-hmm. in movies when men play women, I often see this like overly gross, you know, like Haha, I'm a lady. Like, dee, 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 dee. Yeah. It's and not he that. doesn't do that. It's, Even it's, his voice is just like if anything, it, it it's sounds like, like John Travolta, but it sounds like John Travolta is a woman. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anything, and I don't think it is, but if anything, at worst, it's like a, a Baltimore, like, overly serious Yeah, it's like person. a little offensive to people from Baltimore. Yeah, <laughs> but like, in a funny way, and in a way where I think that I would, Im- I don't know, I don't know any people from Baltimore, but I would imagine they're in on the joke. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, yeah, I was like, it reminded me, like, it's not that I forget this. But, like, I don't know. I feel like John Travolta as a celebrity has, like, surpassed a lot of... And he hasn't done much recently, like, as far as his work and stuff. So I feel mm-hmm. like his, like, you know, his Scientology stuff, it is, like, <laughs> some of that kind of weird stuff has, like, surpassed, like, some, like, his, like, work. And then you go back and you watch, like, of course, like, Grease and Saturday Night Fever, and you're like, yeah, he's a fucking talented guy. But then, like, yeah. you know, past, like, the Pulp Fiction or Face Off or whatever of it all, like... You watch this and you're like, oh, he was still very good at doing yeah. this in the 2000s. Like, he's good. Yeah, he's and, great. like, also yeah. wearing a fat suit, but, like, somehow, like, one of the best on on the choreography. <laughs> he rips apart. Like... You can't stop the beat at the end. Like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. Um. Okay, this is going to be my longest talking point, which is, I do, I do want to talk about the race race component of this show. Yeah. So, okay, first I'll start off and say, like, while the show definitely does address racism, obviously, it's, like, a central plot point, I do think it's a bit more of, like, a superficial dealing of it rather than one that's super based on reality. And and I also think that it, like, it's not trying to be a, like, civil rights, like, race piece. I'll, I, I, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, at least not in a very, like, it is more interested in like, let's all accept each other and be yes, friends rather exactly. than anything else. Like, it's yeah. it's it is in its like set and setting, but like mm-hmm. outside of that, there's not much more depth to it. I also think that it it tries to focus a lot more on like the attitudes towards racism than the racism itself. For example, like I don't think that I don't think the movie tries to propose that Tracy like, that what she's going through is in any way equivalent to what the black kids go through. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're purporting that. However, they do have this, like, solidarity because they have a common enemy in this, like, not accepting people. Obviously, one's racism and one's, like, you're fat, we don't want to be associated with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And both are bad in their own ways. But I don't think that Hairspray tries to be, like, Tracy is just as disenfranchised as, as these kids. As oppressed as these people. Um, yeah. But having that common enemy, I do think, makes Tracy's friendship with the black kids feel really believable and not forced. I also think that, like, the show... I, I don't think that they were, like, completely tone deaf. I do, like, for example, I read this this uh, quote about, like, how the song... Um, oh my gosh, why am I blinking? Uh, Motorball Maybell's... I know where I've been uh, Mm -hmm. song was like really controversial. And when it was first written into the musical, um, so this is, I'm reading a quote from the creators. This was inspired by a scene in the 1988 movie that takes place on the black side of town. It never dawned on us that a torrent of protest would follow us from almost everyone involved with the show. It's too sad. It's too preachy. It doesn't belong. Tracy should sing the 11 o'clock number. We simply didn't want our show to be yet another showbiz version of a civil rights story where the black characters are just the background. And what more could Tracy Tur- and what could be more Tracy Turnblad like than to give the eleven o'clock number to the black family at the heart of the struggle? 
Luckily, the audiences embrace this moment, which enriches the happy ending to follow, and it's our proudest achievement of the entire experience of writing Hairspray. So, like, clearly they had some kind of forethought about, yeah. like, Tracy's not this, you know, person solving racism. That's Zach Efron's job. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> um, and, like, I think that they mean really well. And I don't think it's problematic as much as it just kind of, like, feels, like, lacking in awareness at times. But let's move mm-hmm. to those times. Let's talk about those times where I think that it is lacking or, or not, like, a full... Not giving the full picture. First off, I think that the root of it is that while the casting is phenomenal in its diversity, or, or really good, I guess, comparatively to the things in this time, the mm-hmm. creative team behind the show is pretty much entire, entirely white. And this is both the original Broadway cast and the movie that we watched. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, some of the things that come up, obviously, there's, like, this white savory trope of, like, Tracy being the hero at the center of it all. Like, Tracy starting the march is just kind of, like, fucking crazy oh to God. me. It's it's almost like comical, <laughs> yeah. um, and and there's this this whole like positioning of Tracy at the center of this movement when the reality is is she's like at the outskirts of it, and like Tracy's great, like she is ready to join, she's ready to do the work, but like she's mm-hmm. not the hero, she is an accessory. Yeah, I texted you like last night, like the fact that like <laughs> they all are like, yeah, we'll. Get in fights with the cops to protect yeah. Tracy Turnblad as she runs away. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if this is how this would go down, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think another thing that like feels just like kind of tone deaf is this idea of like the villain in Velma. Because I, the reason I think it's frustrating to to watch at times is it's Velma is this kind of like stand in as like the bad racist person. And she's the evil, and it's very much, like, this individualized thing. And so then it's, like, once once we take down Velma, racism's gone! Yay! You can't stop the bee! Like, let's party! <laughs> um, and again, I think that's part of the, like, boundless optimism of this show, the utopian view it has. But also, like, lacks lacks the nuance of racism is not one person being racist mm-hmm. and, you know, being overtly racist. It's a bigger systemic issue. And that yeah. brings me to what I think the the overall thing I'm trying to say about race in this show is, which is that I honestly think Hairspray is a perfect time capsule for how white people in America viewed racial politics in, like, Y2K which is very much like, we're all the same inside. Like, let's be colorblind. Like, be the white person that stands up to the mean racist bully. You know, this, like, idea Mm -hmm. that racism is just, like, a super outward, a super, like, we hate black people and not a collection of laws and beliefs and, like, you know, everything that we know racism is and how it manifests in society. It's, like... No, like we're all we all bleed the same blood. If we all could just dance together, everything we find. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and like yeah. I think that now we're able to to have these conversations that feel a bit more nuanced. But like I really think that this is such a perfect time capsule for <laughs> for white people's relationship with race in America in the two thousands. <laughs> yeah. Going back to Velma, first of all, Michelle Pfeiffer is so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I do like the fact that was stand-in, like you said, it's like an, it is sort of like, once we get past Velma, everything's going to be fine. 
But I do like that the main villain is a white woman. Yeah. <laughs> and I also like that there's like a little, I wish they sort of dug in, I guess like you can't really, but like I love it when the like owner of the TV studio or whatever is on her side at first. Like he's like, no, we can't have like this, this, this fat girl, we can't have her on the show. Like someone who looks like true. And as soon as it starts <laughs> making money, he's like, oh shit, like bring it on. Like, yeah. I don't care, whatever. And it's like so cynical and an otherwise like pretty like can't be bright show. And they gloss over it. But I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, those are my thoughts again, overall, like, I I think that there are some, like, lightly problematic elements, but I don't think that the show itself is problematic as much as it just is, like, white people made it and were short-sighted in, like, the, the mm-hmm. heart of the issue. So, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts there, and, and I'll also revisit that a bit in my recreate. So, yeah, the last thing I want to talk about is just this point of, like, a utopian outlook and, and also a bigger conversation about, like, utopian musical theater um, which I think that we've kind of like moved away from, but I feel like was really represented, represented in like the nineties and two thousands, which is like, I don't know, you know, the musicals that, that end in a, you can't stop the beat that end in a, like, we're all yeah. in this together, you know, like Kumbaya, like we're all, let's Zac all, yeah. and Oh my gosh, truly, <laughs> truly the, the hero of our time. Um, <laughs> and yeah, this might be kind of ironic coming after my section on how the show deals with race <laughs> and TBH is maybe like a bit of internalized white savior in me coming out. But I will say there is something like so incredibly refreshing and uplifting about just how utopian this show is. And to be mm-hmm. fair, I'm not just talking about the way it interacts with race as much as I just like, there's just this overwhelming sense of like goodness in the world of like that prevailing of like staying true to yourself, like, very again very like the 2000s themes of of like legally blonde and and movies like that but something about that plus musical theater this like takes it over the top and is so comforting Mm -hmm. and i think is part of why this show has seen so much success is is that outlook it's the reason people love to watch i feel like this is like the arc of the downfall of aaron sorkin other stuff too but like the reason people love the west wing so much is because like president bartlett is like a good person at the end of the day and it's like this like belief that like you know people who are compelled like people can be inherently good and like there are people who are actually working as our public servants yes and i think that's why people still like find the west wing comforting but like aaron sorkin's outlook on life has like not evolved past that <laughs> and the rest of the world has yes <laughs> at this point and it's like so, like, when you go back and watch old things that have that outlook, you're like, oh, God, like, so comforting. But when something new comes out that has that outlook, you're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I um, I also think that, I don't know, this is a total, like, trend prediction. I could be wrong. But I think that that's where we're headed um, media-wise in the future is I think we're going back to – I think we will be going back – to some utopian media. Oh, man. Um, I think that, sure the, I think that people need it like, right now, though, to yeah. just be like, everything's yeah. okay. <laughs> it's not, well, but we're... at least in this two-hour period, everything's okay. These are two movies that are the epitome of everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I guess I should also say, I, 
I want to say for the record that we both love Zac Efron. It sounds like we're making fun of him, but I love him. And it's just a fun category. Oh, <laughs> I, I am not making fun of him. I mean, obviously we're okay. being tongue-in-cheek with yes, he's not are, solving racism. He's but not solving racism. I think he's great in both of these, in both okay, of these shows. That is all. I just want to make sure that's clear. Yeah. I love you, Zac Efron. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll both shoot our shot. Uh, <laughs> Call me. Here's um, my number. <laughs> one last thing I'll say, and then we can move on to our recreates, is uh, how to write an amazing banger opener of a musical 101, oh Good Morning Baltimore. Oh, what? my Especially God. the stage version where you she comes out like in the bed. You know, have you seen it on stage? Yes. She yeah. comes out in like the mm-hmm. vertical bed and like wakes up and starts the yeah. whole show like that. Um, it just is such an amazing way to like introduce the set and setting, the characters, like the central issues. It is so catchy. It's fun. Mm-hmm. What an amazing opening number. And yeah. again, like you said earlier, it's truly, there's not a single flop in this show. Like every song yeah. goes so, so hard um, and is amazing. Good Morning Baltimore is such a standout for me. Without Love is amazing. Mm-hmm. You can't stop the beat. I know where I've been. Like those are my my stand standouts. But like everything about the every song in the show that oh so good. James Marsden's riff at the end of Hairspray. James Mars, the casting is amazing. <sighs> okay, the casting of every iteration of this show actually I'll say is mm-hmm. amazing. Um, from the original movie to the original Broadway with Marissa. Uh, I, can't, I don't remember how to pronounce her last name, but. Whittaker or something. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, she's amazing. Harvey Firestein, Laura oh Bell God, Bundy yeah. was in the original cast. Like I, then James Marsden and Zac Efron and Nikki Blonsky, National American Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, yeah. Brittany Snow. First of all, Brittany Snow can play a fucking bitch. Yeah, she's. So good in this movie. I also love Britney Snow a lot. Like, I feel like we have maybe also done a little bit of a disservice to her. <laughs> I wish she was in more things recently. She's really good in this movie. Like, just Do you like, watch KZX Girlfriend? No. Um, first of all, you should. Does it's one of my favorite shows okay. of all time. Um, yeah, she has a song in Craziest Girlfriend. <sighs> it's like they're doing a play on like, on like Facebook stalking someone's ex or their new partner or something. Uh-huh. And she has a song called Research Me Obsessively. And she, I love Britney Snow. She's so good. I love her. She's so good. She's just the perfect bitch. Like, when they're doing New Girl in Town in her little eight. Mm-hmm. It's so and good. And all her little falls so during good. that, too. She's like, <laughs> Yeah, she's so funny. She's great. Right. Um, okay. Got anything are, else? That's honestly my main thoughts. Overall, it's just so fun. It's so feel good. So the music's amazing, Chore- amazing choreo, like, just has all the elements of a strong musical and nails them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, so, for my recreate, it's going to be very short. Um, I was just like, we've talked about some musicals that deal with social issues, you know, like social injustices. And I was like, sticking really to theme, what other musicals could we put Zac Efron in where he has to help solve a social injustice? That's good. 
So I basically picked five shows and I like created a part and I want, you can, like, if you can't think of one, that's fine. Okay. I give you a sip before, but like, if you can think of one too, you can do that. I'll, okay. I'll give mine first. So then if you could think of one, you could do it. So again, I picked five shows that deal with like a Wait, sorry. It, would this be, we're just, it, we're just casting Zach in it or we're like no, writing a like, new role for like Zach. making up a new role for him <laughs> okay. to be in. And the other thing that I did is like, so I invented a character, but it has to be either as this character from Hairspray, Sildan Clarkin, <laughs> or as Carlisle. So it's like, if you were to insert okay. Carlisle or Link into the show, who would they be? Okay, so so these shows, again, like HGO, Social Justice, not necessarily racism. Um, so the first one is Kinky Boots, mm. like deals with the prejudice, you know. And I mm-hmm. was like, well, clearly Philip Carlyle would be like Lola's manager. You know, he's like in charge of running her drag show and he's upset that she's spending so much time working at this fucking shoe factory because he's concerned. <laughs> it's eating into her live show profits. So yeah. that's fair for that. Um, for West Side Story, I, <laughs> I decided it would be Link. Let's get the hair, you know, yeah. it's like back, like, feel. It's like, mm, same time frame, right? Ish, like 60s. Yeah. I guess maybe a little early, like, around the same time. And he'd be like the wishy-washy jet. Like, kind of how mm. he is. Because, like, honestly, Link comes in at the last minute yeah. to help solve racism yeah, in this movie. Yeah, really, Philip Carlyle's <laughs> more with it than, uh... Link is, like, so I figured he'd be, like, one of the wishy-washier Jets who may be, like, at the end is, like, wait, everyone stop. But it's, like, a little too late. And then Ragtime, throwing it back to a couple weeks ago, or last week, I can't remember. Um, So I feel like an older Philip Carlyle would be the character in this because it takes place, like, 30, 30 years after this. And he would be, he's, like, moved out to Hollywood. He's starting to get into the movie business. And he's the guy who hires Tate to, like, be a Hollywood director. Mm-hmm. Um, then I picked Rent. Um, I think it would be, like, Link, obviously, like, moved up to the 90s, as, like, this young kid who comes to New York to, like, try to be a singer and makes friends with the main crew. And then he's, like, kind of naive, you know? And then the last one I had was Newsies. Mm. <laughs> um, again, like turn of the century sort of. So like it's an older Philip Carlisle in this instance. And I'm like, you know, he like still runs a show in town. Maybe it's cir- the circus. Maybe he's moved on. And the Newsies are covering it. He's like, you know, fond of him because he's got a little heart of gold or whatever. And maybe he is like an in with Pulitzer. So he helps, like, get Pulitzer to give into the strike somehow. Yeah. And that's what I got. I don't know if you have any other ideas. I'd love to I was just, them, I was just thinking um, Dreamgirls with Philip Carlisle as, oh like, a... I'm thinking, like, a swooping in after and I'm telling you. Like, completely inappropriately. But, be, like, he... Oh, like, yeah. she, she belts the shit out of that, like, in this bar. And he's, like, she finishes it and he's in the back just, like... Slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, gives her a He's record like, deal. <laughs> I was just here for no reason yeah. at all. <laughs> uh-huh. I love that. That's a great one. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what I got last week. Love it. <laughs> Season. <laughs> um, okay. Mine is a little different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I was thinking about how, if, if there's a way to, like, actually address some of the race criticisms I have about her. Story. Okay. And how we could change Hairspray to address them. To be honest, and 
if we're like really getting to the core of the story Hairspray is telling, um, the way that we would do that is that Tracy is a side character and that the story is really about little Inez. Um, and so that's what I'm doing is I am coming up with a kind of a parallel story to Hairspray. Like I would, I, my ideal would be that you could put like most of the scenes like together and basically you're just mm-hmm. getting like little Inez's POV of all the pot times like where we're seeing Tracy. Um, so the musical would be called Nicest Kid in Town. Um, and it would be a similar structure, but again, completely different POV. I think it'd be really jarring to be able to see like Inez's story side by side to Tracy's. So like, for example, I'm just going to go through a few of the like main points of the show. So for example, to start, we would still open with Good Morning Baltimore, but it's Inez's Baltimore, not Tracy's. So like it's, it's her totally different experience. Maybe she still has like that boundless optimism, but it's not, um, again, it's not the same Baltimore that Tracy lives in. Yeah. Another aspect, and this is part of why I wanted to name the show nicest kid in town. I think that nicest kids in town excuse me, could take on such a darker tone um, if if it's used, like, more combatively against the black kids, especially Mm -hmm. Inez. So maybe we see Nicest Kids in Town as, like, almost like a jeering, you know, element against against the black dancers. Uh, Maybe Mm -hmm. we see, like, Inez getting bullied. That's how she gets a detention around, around this and is, like, doesn't see herself as being able to be, like, one of the nice kids because she's black. Um, I think that Motorbeth Maybell should obviously still have her 11 o'clock, I know where I've been number, mm-hmm. but I also like this idea of, of, um, what I've been talking about in this show, this balanced optimism, this utopia, if little Inez was still to represent that. So maybe Motorbeth sings, I know where I've been, but then soon after Inez sings a reprise that's like, I know where we'll go or something like that. Aww. Um, and yeah. she could even come in with Motorbell and kind of like have a duet moment, but Motorbeth being about like the importance of representing where you come from and your past and your history with Inez kind of being like, but where can we take us further as like into the future? Yeah. The next step, the complexities that come with that. And then lastly, I think we'd still want to end with You Can't Stop the Beat. And actually in, in making this, like that song makes so much more fucking sense in this version, because the black kids are the ones bringing the fucking beat to the show. Yeah. Um, and like with, I don't know, you can't stop the beat. You can't stop little Inez. <laughs> so yeah, she basically this is just me saying, saying, I want to see little Inez's perspective because every to every iteration of Hairspray and I've seen stage, I saw the live, I've seen the movie, every iteration, little Inez comes and does her little bit at the end. And is always like probably yeah, the highlight, or one of the best parts. And I'm like, where was that the whole, like, I want to see more of that. So yeah. um, I want to open Little Inez, the musical, Nicest Kid in Town. Nicest Kid in Town. I love it. Someone write it. Go yeah. for it. <laughs> well, <Ooh>! that's it. <laughs> <laughs> the end of no season three as episodes. we know it. Oh, my God. That's so many musicals. It is. I, I will say... 
I, and maybe I'm speaking just for myself here, but I think that we're a little less burnt out than we were last time where we were like, oh my God. we yeah. need a full year, no looking at each other, no talking. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> talking at sound, all. <laughs> like, maybe we'll do some bonus ups here and there to supplement between yeah. our, before we start our next season after we take a break. Yeah. We were going to do that for yeah. like West Side Story when it can, so we just We did, did it, it so. with, in the Heights, but. Yeah, we did. We, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, I mean. What thirteen? The the movie came out. Did you see the that? The Matilda ones coming. The Matilda's out. coming out. Like there's some stuff mm-hmm. coming out. So maybe we'll do some one off episodes yeah. here and there. I like that idea. <laughs> Try to keep well. to it this time. <laughs> Who knows when season four will start? Who knows? I really don't. <laughs> I really don't either. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, uh, it's been such a pleasure this season. It's been so if, great. If you if you've been with us all season, wow! Like truly thank you so much don't even know what to say also like let us know who you are i know some of our like main listeners but looking at our stats we definitely have a lot more uh regular listeners than i know of so like hit us up on instagram we want to talk to you we want to hear like hear your feedback hear what you'd want to see in future seasons what you want to keep what you want to hear less of I think that uh, Sammy and I got some feedback about bop lists. <laughs> Dead <laughs> from my from mother. This. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, and honestly, I think we needed. To, I think we were just keeping it because we had it. But um, I agree, it wasn't really adding too much at the end of the day. Oh so, gosh. yeah. But I mean, that's it. It <laughs> is. It's been a great season. <laughs> it's been a great season. We'll see you guys when we see soon. you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>